0: I'm so glad you're able to join with us today, Uh, whether you're online or in the house. There's something about God's people coming together and, and singing praises and being reminded over and over the truths of the scripture so that we might be able to understand God, His ways, and his plans. We continue the exciting story today of the early church. It's been found in the book of Acts, and for the past 17 weeks, give or take a few, we've been opening up this book. We know that the church started about 2,000 years ago at Pentecost when 120 believers... Christ's followers obediently waited in Jerusalem when the Spirit of God descended on them. It changed everything for them and for us. The Word of God was preached and the church grew, which we all liked. But the church also suffered. They They hurt because they followed Jesus. Part one of Acts focuses on the explosion of the church in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. The spirit continues to be active and a key player in this drama. And God began to use the spirit to, well, build this church. Chapter 13, then ushers us into part two of Acts. And although the gospel in the very beginning focused, well, very close to Jerusalem, now the gospel is being presented to all of the world. God's plan was really simple. Fill believers with his spirit and send them out to be the church. His ambassadors proclaiming his powerful message of life. So God, did, uh, so Paul did just that. He started churches in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, and Derby before returning to his home church. But when he did, trouble arose. So let's pray. Let's pray before we dig in. We'll start at the end of chapter 15 and then leak into chapter 16. Father, we do come before you and we recognize that this book that we learn from is your holy word. It is God-breathed. It is given to us to inspire and to convict. Lord, we are loving the story of the early church. We are seeing what's important and how it just naturally expands as you lead your people and give your folks your life-changing words. Lord, we, we want to learn from that. We want to do your body well. We want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. We want to faithfully be able to share good news, the good news that have changed us from the inside out. We are so grateful that Jesus died in our place. He shed his blood in our place so that we might be able to be reconciled and redeemed. That message has changed us, and it changes the world. We pray, Father, for all those churches in the area, all those churches all over this state and this nation and this world that are meeting together, who are praising you and proclaiming your word and meeting in prayer. And and God, in some ways, we don't know how you do that. We don't understand how you are so big and so powerful. But you do. We pray in particular, dear Father, for Northbridge Church and Emmanuel Church and Grace Point Church, right in our area. We pray that you would move those people. You would encourage them and that they would be salt and light. We are grateful again, God, to be able to open up your word. So teach us, teach us this day. May nothing we do, may nothing I say distract from what you want to do in our lives. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Let me set up our text well, if I can. Most of you know, as we started in Acts 15, there was a little bit of a problem. There were some people that crept into the church, and they added to the gospel. Well, that riled up, especially Paul. He understood the Jewish laws very, very well, but he also understood God's grace. He had been spending time with God, and he loved sharing with people the good news of Jesus. And so as he did that, when folks came in and said, hey, we have to add to the gospel, (laughs) That wasn't going to work. So actually the church of Antioch sent a crew to Jerusalem and it's called the Jerusalem Council and there the elders and the apostles met together in order to discern, well, what the gospel is. After they realistically came to a clearer understanding they understood again what the gospel of grace was. Their message energized the church to proclaim God's life-giving message everywhere they went. Once this happened, Paul and Barnabas made their way back to their home church, which, which was in Antioch, and they resumed their ministry of teaching and evangelism. Now, it's kind of exciting at this point god continued to move i i would like to say he stirred paul but as we're going to find out paul and barnabas disagreed they had some conflict now let me just remind you paul and barnabas were more than partners in ministry they had been close friends many years And even before sharing the hardships of that first missionary trip, the first missionary journey, they were buds. Barnabas became Paul's advocate and stood by him during a time when no other Christian felt safe because that former church persecutor was in the room. After all they had gone together, how could Paul and Barnabas be at odds? Both of the pillars of this church, they felt they were right. Each could support their position with Bible verses, yet they reached a perfect and complete impasse. Let's open our Bibles. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to start reading it at verse 36. If you want to follow along in your Bible, please do. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We're going to read through verse 41. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But if you mark your Bible, I, I would circle that one. It's a pretty sharp difference here. But, but Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, Their disagreement was so sharp, they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. Let's stop for a moment. This text starts off after some time. We don't know how long Paul was back. We don't know how long he was teaching. But after just a little bit, Paul felt it was time to go back and check on all those churches. The churches, especially the four churches that he had started. He had left elders there, he knows, but again, you got to remember there wasn't texting, there wasn't emails, there wasn't even phone calls. Uh, He was wondering what was going on with those believers. I don't doubt that the Spirit prompted him. Paul was a shepherd, he wasn't just some kind of a fly by night evangelist that just wanted to make sure people got into the kingdom and then left them high and dry. Every church Paul started, it just seems like his prayer list got longer and longer and longer. So he wondered, a good thing, let's go back. Let's make sure they're walking with God. Let's make sure they're encouraged. Barnabas heard this and said, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. In spite of the trials and the hardships we read about at the end of Acts chapter 13 and all the way through Acts 14. But... Even though the spirit prompted, and even though it was confirmed by Barnabas, Barnabas put his two cents in right away. Hey, let's get the old team back together. Let's bring John Mark. I'm sensing as soon as the word John Mark came out of his mouth, Paul looked at him. Maybe he gave him beady eyes. I, I have no exact clue what happened, but this really bothered Paul. I mean, Barnabas was on the trip with them, they had hardly even started the first missionary journey when John Mark wanted to go home. When we first read this in Acts, there weren't a lot of details, but here's some strong words that Paul uses. He says, I disagree with you, Barnabas. John Mark deserted us and John Mark failed to finish. Wow, if you've been following another conflict, they just dealt with a conflict in the church over doctrine you would have thought there should be peace. You would have thought that, oh, wow, let's just move forward here. No more disagreements, no more fights, no more conflicts. But a conflict over the ministry team, a conflict over who would be on the leadership team. We honestly don't get a lot of details here, but we do get the results they split. They split. And literally, they both went to different parts of the world to encourage and strengthen the church. Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus, which was their home, if you remember, to strengthen the churches there. And Paul and Silas went to Syria and Celsia to strengthen the churches there the church encouraged or entrusted Paul to God's gracious care. doesn't say anything about Barnabas at the moment, but it's interesting because if you read the commentaries here or you try to read some of the biblical scholarship here, they're kind of divided. Some will say this, is that the church literally entrusted Paul to God's gracious care, Because they agreed with Paul. They thought Paul was right. Go do it, Paul. We're going to be praying for you. Take your new team and go back and encourage the church. Others think, well, they entrusted Paul to God's care. Because because they said, well, you know, Paul, he's kind of strong-headed. I mean, he's got a certain way about himself, and Lord, this is your guy. I'm not going to get involved in this one. I'm trusting him to you, God. This is what we need to do. Well, I'm not sure which way it is, but let's try to make a little bit of sense of this. First of all, the two guys, the two leaders in the church, the two friends, the two comrades, the way we would put it, They agreed on the purpose. The purpose was to go back and encourage what churches need, what Christians need. They just didn't agree on the personnel. You know, being in the church for a while now, this seems to be more common than you'd think. Most people do stay together. Most people understand mission. Most people say, yes, we are together as a church in order to go into this direction, ultimately to make disciples. But where church leaders differ often is on the leadership. Who's going to direct ministries? Who's going to lead ministries? Who's going to run ministries? So this isn't so uncommon. How would they work through the conflict and determine who would be best for the mission? You know, Paul is this tough, battle-hardened soldier of Christ who had no use for deserters, and he had no confidence in John Mark. Some even felt that Paul cared more for the ministry than for people. Well, what's wrong with you, Paul? Can't you give leaders a second chance? Well, Paul felt very strongly that he needed the right leader and have the right team for this mission, and that a person's track record actually counts. It matters. John Mark would be benched for now, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. On the other hand, Barnabas... Don't you love Barnabas? Don't you want Barnabas in the room sometimes more than you want Paul in the room sometimes? Uh, Barnabas was this gentle, encouraging soul who really wanted to give a second chance to his cousin, John Mark. To Paul, it was about the mission, to Barnabas, it was about restoration. Paul felt the mission was too important to risk it on undependable people. Barnabas, on the other hand, knew the mission was important, but he was willing to give Mark a second chance to redeem himself. Now, I don't think one is right and one is wrong, and that's kind of how our culture looks at conflict. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Who's right? Who's wrong? I sense, and please bear with me as we kind of go through this, that both were right. It seems really clear this wasn't about sin, at least with John Mark, or or Paul at least would have brought that up. It was really about, well, deserting, about giving up when the road got really difficult. Hmm. The scripture doesn't explicitly say if Paul or Barnabas were right. But I do sense the weight of the evidence seems to favor Paul as being a little more right. Remember, I said both are right. Paul was the senior leader and the apostle. Barnabas was not I do think Barnabas had a soft heart, but I also think he had blind spots, especially concerning family. Therefore, I believe Barnabas should have submitted to Paul's apostolic authority. Secondly, I think Barnabas should have realized that it would have been unwise and difficult to have Mark as a team member if Paul just didn't trust him. So I look at those things, and and Paul had some wisdom here. But ultimately, if I want to grab a truth out of this portion of Scripture, I would say this. God uses all types of people to advance his kingdom. Two teams went out. We just hear about Paul's team more. I think God can use all types of Spirit-led people. We've talked so much about being led by the Spirit, of being sensitive to the Spirit, of walking with the Spirit, which simply means, again, that you would confess and I would confess my sin quickly in order for me to be able to hear the Spirit of God. Guide me and direct me. It's so critical. Now, just a side note. Although they apparently never ministered together again, that's Barnabas and Paul. At least Barnabas is not mentioned anymore in the book of Acts. We know that Paul later wrote approvingly of Barnabas's ministry when he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. So that's kind of cool. And let's go even further here. Even John Mark, who was the cause of all the trouble, later became one of Paul's valued co-laborers. Paul did work again with John Mark, and it's mentioned at least three times in the Scripture. He also became a close associate to the Apostle Peter. And he had the privilege of writing one of the Gospels, the book of Mark. I think really Barnabas did a remarkable job in helping turn around the life and the ministry career of his young cousin. I think both were right. Both were used by God in a very special way. Now let's go on. Acts 16, starting at verse 1. Paul then went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, and his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey in deference to the Jews of that area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew every day. This literally does start Paul's second missionary journey. And he starts off going back, and he starts at derby in Lystra. You recall Lystra was the place where the people got so upset that they literally stoned Paul, and he appeared to be dead. But he goes back to these places, wanting to encourage and strengthen the churches. Well, when he returns this time, Paul notices Timothy he noticed them and said, you know what, I'd like to have that guy on our team. He had a great reputation in the church. But there was a problem. Timothy had both a Jewish mom and a Greek dad. Up to this moment, there wasn't a need for circumcision. But Paul had Timothy circumcised in deference or out of love for the Jews. We spent quite a bit of time last time together, just talking about how to do ministry and life out of love, not out of law. Well, Paul saw this as an issue. He was going to be going into synagogues. He was going to be ministering to Jews. And he knew that if Timothy wasn't circumcised, there would be a barrier. So we wanted to take away hurdles or obstacles and allow him greater access to the synagogues that Paul and Silas really were planning to visit in the near future. It seems like quite the cost, but, but Paul thought it was important. And Timothy agreed. You also look at Timothy being both Jewish and Gentile. He had access to both of the cultures, and that would be an unbelievably important qualification for missionaries at that time. Paul would be able to have Timothy relate to each of these people groups. Now, recognizing Timothy's value and potential, Paul wanted this man to go with him. And I think, actually, it was an important discipleship step for Timothy, and a sacrifice, not only for him, but his family. I also want to just note this, that every time Paul took on somebody, they didn't have to be circumcised. But at this moment, Paul thought it was important. We know that that wasn't the standard, or that wasn't the norm, because in Galatians chapter 2, Paul mentions Titus and that he was not circumcised. I only mention that because I think, again, Paul was one of these guys that looked ahead and said, what would we be able to do in order to make the greatest impact? I think that's how he made a choice with John Mark and said, we're not taking him. Timothy, you're going to be an unbelievably great asset, and I'm going to ask you to do something hard. I need you to be circumcised. After that happened, the Scriptures tell us that Paul went from town to town strengthening the churches, and these churches grew. I think the point that I'd like to make in this kind of Uh, portion of the scripture is that Paul made disciples he chose a young man named Timothy to do life to mentor to disciple Timothy was a guy that walked with God. He had a great reputation in spite of how young he was. He was teachable, and he was willing to make sacrifices. I wonder, and it doesn't say, maybe before they left Lystra and Paul encouraged them to come and join their team, what happened if Timothy would have said, no, I don't want to be circumcised. That doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help my salvation. I don't know that. But I wonder if Paul would have changed his mind if he sensed Timothy wasn't willing to make some sacrifices on his team. I think Paul modeled for Timothy what ministry and following Jesus looks like. So, so far in our text, we see God uses all kinds of people, and that discipleship continually is a priority for the early church and for Paul wherever he goes. Let's go to Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Next, again, this is kind of a uh, progression here. Paul and Silas traveled through an area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is really interesting because you would have thought that Paul was so connected with God that he would just know where to go, when to go, how long to stay. But Paul very much was on a journey just like you and I are on a journey. He we He was. So the scriptures tell us this, that the Spirit prevented Paul and Silas from preaching in Asia. They were leaning toward going north. But God said, no, I I don't want you to go that direction. What you want to do is good, but that's not my plan for you. So they went through different areas and the message came back the same. The Spirit denied access to Bithynia. So they traveled then through Mycenae to Troas. And again, if you want to look at some of your Bible maps or you go through this, you'll you'll see the choices that they made. But what was so unique is it seems like everywhere where Paul really wanted to go, God said, no, either you don't go or not at this time. The verb tenses here clearly imply the consistent attempt to go north, but the doors were closed. They understood that God has every right to open and close opportunities, to give and to take away. God is God. The debate here really comes down to this. When God closes a door or when God does not allow you to do ministry in a certain area, do you wait? Or do you just pick up your bags and go somewhere else? It seems like Asia was not the right timing and Bithynia definitely was a no. While Paul was waiting, just to be clear, he gets a dream. And there's a guy in Macedonia that says hey Paul, come on over here and help us. Let's, let's do that. Now I'm going to stop there at the moment. I, I think it's pretty clear he got a vision and that's where he was supposed to go. We're going to find out in just a moment. He was really excited about that. But But the truth I want us to get out of this section is that Paul depended on God and walked in the Spirit. Now, how does that work today? Honestly, I would think every one of us would want to know how to do that. In fact, I had a young man in my office this last week and just said, Pastor Rick, can we just spend time trying to understand how the Spirit leads and discerns what my will is, what I'm supposed to do? How he do that today? I said, oh, funny you should ask. We're going to be looking at that this Sunday. But not only that, I think that's important for us every day. Every day to be able to understand, hey, God, you've given me assignment. Hey, God, you've given me breath. Hey, God, I get up in the morning. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? God, I want to listen to you. I don't want to be a burden so, how do disciples walk, listen, or hear the Spirit today? Well, in our text, we can clearly see the Spirit uses circumstances at times, and other times, He gives us clarity or clear direct us. Okay, Pastor Rick, I get that, but when does He give me clarity? How do I do all this stuff? Let me start off and try to give you some practical ways to be able to understand what God wants you to do every single day of your life. First of all, and we mentioned it just quickly, just a little while ago, but only the holy or the sinless or the clean can actually hear the Spirit of God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 66 verse 18, if there is iniquity in my heart, if there is sin in my heart, God cannot hear me. The communication is stopped. I can't hear God. He can't hear me. So one of the critical things for each one of us is to make sure that we confess our sin when we sin. That we are clean, that we have a different attitude towards sin than a common man, that, that it offends a holy God, that it restricts us from hearing a holy God. If we have sin in our life, he cannot guide us, he cannot direct us. And maybe one of the first steps and the most simple step and the most critical step is when you sin, when I sin, when I rebel against God, no matter what it is, that we confess our sins. Because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As soon as that happens, we have a conduit to God. We can hear. So once that happens, it at least opens up communication. Secondly, here's the great adventure. God does direct you and me every single day. Let me say that a different way. The wonderful thing about walking with God Is that God literally and really cares about you and me and our pathways? All right. Now let's look at how He clearly directs. First of all, through circumstances. He does. If you're in a certain school, if you get accepted, shall we say, to U of I versus Harvard, those are your two choices. No, I didn't have those two choices. But if I would have had those two choices. All right. Hmm. What, again, God, is at Harvard? And what, again, God, is at U of I? What what opportunities? What do you think, again, as you start looking, you find out Harvard cost uh, $197,000 a year to go there. You look at your bank account. Hmm. Now, U of I is not cheap either, folks, okay? But it's not in the same ballpark. And realistically, you go, okay, I think circumstances, I have two choices. I guess, God, you probably are leading me to U of I. Now, there's a lot of other examples, but realistically sometimes God closes doors God sometimes opens doors sometimes money isn't an issue sometimes personality sometimes you need to be close to home and you add all these things And what's an open door and what's a closed door so God does use that secondly he uses his word we as believers not only have to confess our sin relentlessly we have to open up the book We've got to let that spirit teach us. He will guide us and direct us and and literally give us great wisdom as we spend time in His Word. God also clearly directs through His design, which just simply means this He's given you gifts, He's given you abilities, He's given you talents. All right? if for some reason you want to go in a certain field and go in a certain direction and do certain things and you are not equipped to do that my guess is is that you are not to go that direction you're not you know there might be someone here that wants to be a brain surgeon And as you look at your high school grades, especially in science, you got straight Ds. And you are just so excited, feeling called to Kenya to do brain surgery. We can sit down together and honestly have a wonderful conversation. I'm just telling you, you're not called to Kenya to be a brain surgeon. I love you. But this is not what God's doing. So some of that is easy. Some of that isn't. But, but God made you. So there's certain circumstances that he uses every day. It's God's word that he uses every day. You look at your talents and abilities that God has given you. And I also think that God directs through godly leaders and through your community, through your small groups, through, through the folks that you trust. Some of you have had godly parents and that's wonderful to have, but not everybody. What's so amazing is to be able to surround yourselves with ladies and men who walk with God and love God, who can pray with you and encourage you to make wise decisions. Yeah. Let's go to the next text. Starting at Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 10. Uh, We're going to... Try this. I'm going to have somebody read it for us. You can follow along in your Bibles or up on the screen. Acts chapter 16, verse 10.
1: So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony and we stayed there several days On the Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there One of them was Lydia from Thyatira a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God As she listened to us The Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed.
0: So the next phase in their journey, they, the scriptures tell us, now there's at least four, and we're going to explain this in a second, it's probably Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke left for Macedonia at once. They got the call. It was a clear call. Paul did not lollygag and took three of his friends and headed to Macedonia. In verse 10, it's the first of the "we" passages in Acts. Now, you know that Dr. Luke is the one that God used to author this book. So at this moment, Dr. Luke joins the caravan. Now, Luke was not only a writer of Acts... But like Timothy, he was to be Paul's faithful friend and loyal companion for the rest of the apostle's life. They travel up to Philippi, and they stay there several days. The scriptures tell us that they end up at a Sabbath river prayer gathering. All right? Paul at that moment sits down and begins speaking to some women who are gathered there now sitting is significant because it's the position that a rabbi or a teacher would literally use in order to instruct so paul saw this as an opportunity but also really important women were the first people group in europe that paul taught Now, to us, this is probably a seemingly small action. But back then, it had to shout. It was so very different than the way the, well, the religious, the Pharisees treated women, and certainly how Romans treated women. Paul was saying very clearly that they counted in the kingdom. Lydia was a merchant, a seller of purple, Again, that wasn't such a big deal to us today, but, but back then, the way they were able to get that purple dye was very difficult. It was expensive, and really only the very wealthy could afford anything of purple. Luke here tells Lydia's salvation story. We see that she worshipped God, perhaps in a way like a Jew would worship God. She listened and responded when God chose to open her heart. Lydia knew about God. Lydia was beginning to think differently about God. But when she heard the good news, when she heard Paul teach, all of a sudden the firecrackers went off. She listened and responded. God opened her heart. And the scriptures tell us that she and her household were baptized. Now back then and even today baptism is really an outward sign of a redeemed individual's identification with Christ. This has nothing to do with salvation. This is an act of obedience. And we have baptism services here simply so that we might be able to be obedient as believers and some of you may even see this as a next step in your journey but the scriptures tell us this that Lydia invited the team at this moment again it's Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to be their guests and they agreed they went there and I'm sure they encouraged them especially after they came to salvation. Now the part I want you to get right here is that Paul obeyed quickly. What an inspiration, really. What an opportunity for for us to learn from Paul. He, He has this vision, it's pretty clear. Hey, go over to Macedonia. He didn't have a lot more details, he didn't. In fact, we find out that there wasn't even any synagogues there. So so he pulls into Philippi. What do I do? Where do I go? God, you told me to come here. Well, let me think. Sometimes there's prayer gatherings and I ask some questions and there's one at a river. I'm going to go there. And God began to work. You know, if we look at the four truths that I think God wants us to understand today. I think you're going to go home different people. The first thing he wanted us to understand is that God uses all kinds of people to expand the kingdom. It just simply means stay right with God. And... Stay right with people so you can focus on the mission. I got a text literally 10 minutes before we gathered early together with the worship team, which we do every Sunday morning. We go over that Sunday and we begin to pray through what is going to happen. We pray for every one of you who come. But the message that I got was, Carden is with Jesus. You don't know Carden. But my brother sent that text. Carden was a man who came to faith underneath my dad's ministry back in Chicago out of the Iwana Clubs. And Cardin, at that moment, made some significant choices and began to follow Jesus with all of his heart. He then got married and had a family, but all the way through his life, he served in the Awana ministry, and he worked especially with boys. And what happened is that he was a fireman, and he learned also the trade of plumbing. And so he would be a fireman, he would be a plumber, and he would be, I don't want a leader. And for decades, he spent time with boys. After he retired of being a fireman, he moved up to Birch Ranch and began to volunteer as a plumber. And for the next 20 years or so, he served up there, encouraging others To follow Jesus and to love God all while He was retired and working up at a camp. You know, I look at Carton because I knew him so very well. He went through a plethora of church disputes. There are always ministry disputes and conflicts, because that's what happens in a church. But one of the things that I learned from Cardin more than anything is that he was a peacemaker. He was a guy that understood the mission. He was the guy that understood in spite of, well, difficulties among people that eventually were worked out, he would keep his focus on the mission. It's a little unique today that I'm speaking from Acts 15, and right before I come up, I hear about Carden. I thank the Lord for Carden. I think Carden is having an amazing time right now because I know he's with His Jesus. But I know this: is that so many times we forget that life is so short, and we focus on things that are rather insignificant. And we forget what the mission of God is. And God says, hey, I've left you here to make a difference in your world, to make disciples, and to help others understand the good news of the gospel. I think Cardin had some regrets in life. But the one thing he never regretted Was to work with kids over a lifetime and make an impact and a difference in their lives. Secondly, Paul made disciples. You know, the whole series is called Unfinished because God continually gives that to each one of us. And and honestly, that should just begin to, to simmer and to begin to go to a boil. How can you make disciples? What are you doing to make disciples? Oh, we'd love to meet with you and help you and encourage you, get you involved so you can make a difference in other people's lives. We saw Paul depended on God and walked in the Spirit, that we really do have an assignment every single day, and that when God spoke to Paul, whether it be through a dream, whether it be through the scriptures, whether it be whatever. He listened. He obeyed. He listened quickly. You know, my encouragement to you is this. The book of Acts continually inspires and it convicts. May God encourage you today as you look at these examples. May they inspire you. May they give you energy to listen to our God and live the great adventure let's pray Father I thank you I thank you for this day I thank you for your word I thank you for your examples God we don't understand all that you want us to do every moment but oh God you care you have worked in our lives and in your church. And every day, God, we have an opportunity to stay on mission, to walk with you, to make disciples, to listen to you, and to live the great adventure. We know the task is not finished. We do. We ask you, dear God, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the perspective to do what you say when you want it and with your energy. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.